Hello everyone, Chike here and welcome to another episode of the Cleaning Tackles podcast. Um, if you're here for the first time, we have in-depth discussions on football and of course we have a special focus on Nigerian players. And if this isn't your first time, thanks for rocking with us. Today, Chuki and Dotun are back. They were away last weekend. And we have Bayer as well. Shola is away this weekend. He's still at work. Uh, Chuki, how was your weekend? Oh, man, it was really good. Thank you. It was, a, it, was a fun, it was a fun weekend of everything other than football because that's not frustrated me. But apart from that, it was, it was a good weekend. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Uh, Bayer, how was your weekend? Um, as usual, pretty relaxed, you know, um, just trying to recover from the previous week. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, so Thursday was my birthday, but unfortunately, I watched Toby Amusha and she came sixth in the 100 meters hurdles at the World Athletics Championship. Dotun, uh, did you catch any of those competitions this, this past week? <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, I tried my best to follow the the World Athletic Championships because of um, it's one of the few times you get to see all the big names in track and field in the same place at the same time. Um, and it's very, very tricky, especially for the top guys, because you know, when you get into a tournament with um, high hopes, expectations, and your clear favorite to win your specialty event, it can be a lot of pressure. We had guys like um, Inualize. He promised to win three gold medals at the World Championships and he delivered 100, 200, and uh, the 4 by one mm-hmm. We also saw uh, the redemption arc for Shikari Richardson. Um, mm-hmm. She failed to qualify for the Olympics because of her doping, whatever, back then and all of that. She came back in stunning fashion. She won the 100 meters, she took bronze in 200, and um, I think she won the 4 by one for really as well. And there are also yeah. my weird guys in in the field events. There's um Duplantis for pole votes, world record holder. I think it's still very young. I think it's 23, 24 came out, won the gold. Um there's the Tento Glue. I think that's my personal favorite in this world championships. It's uh, it's a long jumper it's Greek. There's one every medal, every gold medal possible for a long jumper in those championship Olympics whatnot. He just needed this one to, to wrap it up and he had a very good job to start with then it was losing I think it was in the silver medal position on count back so he needed to make uh-huh. his last jump to win the gold medal and uh, brought it out of bag and all of that so it was it was a very very good watch although there were disappointments here and there number one being Amosan finished sixth although it's um, understandable considering the fact that she's not been in the right place mentally she has had to fight um, doping charges I don't think she's in the best shape either because she's not been trained as she's wanted to because of the personal issues that she's faced. There's also the men's 100 meters. I expected Curry to make the final, but he dropped off in the semi-final. But the Olympic champion to Mark Jacobs did not make the final as well. I think that was very, very bad. But remember this name, Tebego. Watch out for that guy. Botswana is 20 years old. Silver in 100, bronze in 200. Watch out for that guy. We're going to hear his name for a very, 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 very long time. Also, I noticed for the first time, four starts, they were given um, certain allowances and they were allowed to run under protest, which will be verified later after the race. I think it was a good one for the race because normally once you have a four start, that's the end of your race. right? But they allowed um, a few people. I can remember Alfred from the Women's 100. They allowed her to run under protest. They allowed someone else to run under 200 as well. So I think it's a very good one for the sport.
um, we'll start from well, the same place we started last weekend. Uh, we talked about the Spanish women's team winning the World Cup, and that was more of a positive vibe when we were talking about that. Uh, talk, we spoke about what they had to overcome on their way to winning that title. And um, right now, this is like the opposite of you know, the feeling from last weekend. Right now, uh, there's a controversy that has overshadowed all the achievements of those ladies, sadly. I don't even think that they've had any um, trophy parade or anything of that sort. They've not had any time at all to enjoy their success. Of course, I'm talking about Luis Rubiales, the president of the Royal Spanish Football Federation, and of course, he's also one of UEFA's vice presidents. So for those who don't know, I expect everybody to know this by now, but for those who don't know, the listeners who don't know, um, Luis Rubiales, he kissed Jenny Hermoso, one of the Spanish players, during the trophy presentation. And it was a week-long conversation, what should be the repercussions for his actions. And at no point did he you know, apologize for his behavior. He claimed that it was consensual. And he called for a press conference on Friday. Now, the idea or the feeling around that Friday's press conference was that he was going to step down you know, be a bit remorseful. But um, what happened was, you know, the direct opposite. So he was defiant. He stood his ground on the keys being consensual. He stated that it was a witch hunt led by people like uh, the La Liga president, Javier Tebas. He even promised Jorge Vilda, a new, that was a Spanish coach, he promised him a new four-year contract worth 500,000 euros per year. And then he said, I will not resign five times. ¿Ustedes creen que, que tengo que dimitir? Pues les voy a decir algo. No voy a dimitir. 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 And I think the strangest part of this, the, the, com the press conference was that as after, after saying he was not going to resign five times, there was an applause from the entire room. It felt like everyone had his back. It was, it felt like, you know, this a sick version of, uh, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, his speech at the, wall of, the Wolf of Wall Street, where he kept on saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. It felt like the sick version of that. And so it's, it's been a mess in the Spanish FA. Um, early on Friday, the Spanish FA threatened to sue Jenny Hermoso. By the time Saturday rolled around, it was FIFA that had to step in he suspended Luis Rubiales for 90 days. And it's a big worry when FIFA is the voice of reason in the room. Um, and just for the record, UEFA hasn't said anything about this. They've been silent throughout. Um, Bayo, we spoke about this last weekend. And what do you make about this mess? So I think throughout this, throughout this uh, story, we've witnessed levels of shamelessness, right, from Rubiales and members of the Spanish FA that you usually attribute to uh, to people back home here in Nigeria. Like, he, he, he did something that was clearly wrong. So, I mean, someone was asking during this weekend that, you know, so when guys like Cavajal and, and Ramos, when they win trophies, they've never seen them being kissed by any officials, right? So... Why is her muscle? Why is her muscle the one to be put in that position? And 
all you, all this guy had to do was apologize on on his on his on, on the error of his ways because he had no right to do that, you know. And you know, um, fine. So if you are going and then possibly just resign, um, you know, and let's and let's let the story end there. Uh, but instead, what we've seen is like denials, um, threatening to sue her muscle for lying. Um, saying, you know, they actually even went as far as falsifying the statements from her where she said that, where she allegedly said that, you know, there was no, there, it was no biggie and that, you know, he was consensual and all of that. So these are the lens these guys have gone to. And then you mentioned the thing at the press conference as well, where everybody, um, practically everybody at the Spanish FA was represented, you know, and then they were clapping for him. But when he went on, when he when he went on the rants, looking for Wall Street like rants that he made, that you know, does anybody think a little peck is what's going to bring him down? You know, so, um, so yeah, for me, like, um, it, it's it's been pretty disappointing because yes, we've seen some people speak up. Uh, FIFA have suspended him, right? The entire Spain women's team, the World Cup winning team, and other players besides have also said, you know, as long as this guy is in charge. They are not going to play for the national team. And it's just so disappointing because, so for example, like you mentioned, Rubiales is a vice president at UFR and there hasn't been a peep from UFR in all of this. Um, you also saw the support for, for him from the Spanish national women's team coach and the men's national women's team coach, which they started to walk back slightly over the weekend again when it became apparent that FIFA suspended him, you know. So for me, like the biggest thing to take away from this is that men do not speak up enough about these things. Men do not condemn these things um, in one voice. Um, too many men are willing to let things like this slide or make excuses or blame the women, just as we've seen. Nobody from the Spanish national team has said anything about this. Uh, Spain, the call-ups will go out for the Spanish men's national team as well probably in the next week or so for the upcoming, um, I believe they are qualifiers. I'm not sure if they are qualifiers or Nations League games. That, that's what we need to do because this is the only something that happens in football, right? It's something that is society-wide. It's something that happens at all levels of society. And the only way to actually bring an end to it is for more men to speak up against these things, right? And just not simply don't condone it don't condone it there's there's simply no excuse for it um okay so here's the thing right um i feel like with majority of scandals in uh in, in big corporates the first thing that happens is whosoever is the guilty party voluntarily resigns or whatever is contract is terminated or whatnot right that's what we more often than not see right um i feel like what makes this a, a lot more embarrassing than it should have been is the fact that he called a press conference which was supposed to resign. Then he came and um, is gaslighting the public thing, something that everybody saw. Do you so it's not even a matter of it happened behind closed doors, whatnot. Like everybody saw it, everybody can see the videos repeatedly and whatnot. So it's a very, very embarrassing situation for the Spanish FA. And I hope that they can rectify it as soon as possible. Um, like you mentioned rightly, this is not the first time Spain is winning something, both at junior level or senior level or something. That's never happened before, right? It's a clear, um, it's a clear case of impropriety, right? Um, the Spanish FA president has taken advantage of his position to do things that are 
um, wrong if people cannot, like, definitely, even if he's the president of the football FA, it definitely reports to someone or is people are in charge of his employment or whatnot, right? So if these people know the right thing to do, then justice should be served. It's that simple for me. Okay, just to round up, um, Jenny Hermoso, she has won the Premier Division seven times with three different teams, Real Vallecano, Barcelona, Atleti. She's a Champions League winner with Barcelona. She has won the most golden boots in Spain five times. I think Messi has the most for the men's um, six, I believe. She's a former Champions League top scorer. She's a Ballon d'Or up, I think, two seasons ago. She was uh, she placed third in FIFA the best two seasons ago as well. She's one of the most decorated players in not just women's, uh, not just uh, Spanish football, but in women's football. Yet when you Google her name right now, the first thing you see is just news about a man kissing her without a consent, and I just feel like that is very appalling. And we as men. We need to hold ourselves accountable. To more positive news, well, not for Chucky. I'm coming to you on this. Um, Arsenal to Fulham to um, Fulham scored with two of their three shots on target. Arteta kind of shuffled his back line, had some players playing out of position. But what went wrong exactly? More really, uh, if I was gonna try to put a, like a finger on what actually went wrong. I can't even tell you. I think the players got too comfortable, which was my big um, my big gripe with the game. So you'd go down 1-0. Fine, it happens. Though that's the problem we should add. I think I saw a start on Twitter. I don't know if that's real. But it said this is the first time in Premier League history where one team has gone down, has considered a goal in the first minute three times in the same calendar year. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I've done it this year. Yes, mm. so that's obviously a problem. It's that's that's the, that's slow starts. It's it's a problem, and they need to fix it. Now into the actual game itself, they go down one zero. That's fine. Now everybody knows what happens. Fulham goes back to block, and then we keep trying, and we keep trying, and we keep trying, which is fair. Now the second half, the the twenty minute period, where it looks like where they start actively going after it. When we get the two goals, that was beautiful, but for some reason, now Fulham have a red card. What I would have expected is to try and get more. You're playing at home. It's your first, um, it's your home game. You're all, the fans are on. I know it's rainy and everything, but like everybody has like, there's this energy. It's why it's a home game. So I would have expected the players to go for the juggler. But for some reason, they took their foot off the gas and they tried to control, control. And the problem with trying to control, which is fair, you can try and control. But you're playing Fulham. Fulham were like bottom of the table at home. And they are one man down. Even if you want to control, control it in their half. I that's why what we were talking earlier. I hated the fact where it was, it was um, it felt like we were, it felt like we were being very, we we're playing with the game. That's the best way I can put it. Because even before the corner that got them to go, we had there was some lackluster play at the back where Jimenez had like bumped it to Mart- Martinelli. Like the players were just as if they thought they had won the game already. And in the Premier League, we know for sure you've not won until the final whistle. I hope, I hope, I hope they, they 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 take revenge next week. They appease the fans next week. I know who we are playing, so I hope they appease the fans next week. Okay. Um, elsewhere, Chelsea three, Luton nil. Pochettino's first win as Chelsea manager. Sterling had a brace. Uh, Man City two, Sheffield one. 
Haaland missed the penalty, later scored. Walker gave away a goal, but Rodri restored the lead. Uh, Newcastle won, Liverpool 2. So 10-man Liverpool after Van Dijk sending off. Um, they seemed to be losing that game. It felt like they were going to go home with no points. Uh, but Newcastle, they were in control for a very long time and they ended up losing this. How did that happen? How did they lose this? Um, I, I think it's, it's down to um, a lot of tactical acumen, right? If you want to play football, if you want to manage like a team, you need to be prepared for adversities. You need to be prepared for worst-case scenarios, right? And in Liverpool's instance today, in the first 10 minutes, um, Trent was booked um, and they went down one goal and Van Dijk got sent off. Now they had to reshuffle the pack. It, it was very, very disappointing for Luis Diaz that he had to be man sacrificed. So basically what Liverpool did was they reshuffled into a 4-3-2 formation. 4-3-2 in sense that Gomez came on for Diaz and it was a Trent, Gomez, Matip, Robertson back four. Endo, Macalista and Chobosla in midfield with um, Salah and Gapo leading the line. Um, it was 1-0 for a very long time. Alisson made a couple of saves to keep Liverpool in the game. And the longer the game went on, the longer Liverpool felt like they could get something out of the match. Right? So I expected Newcastle to try and manage the game better. Um, I thought Eddie got um, complacent. I thought he got overly confident because he took off um, Tonali in midfield. He took off, um, he took off Isaac. He, took, he started taking players off more like, OK, we've, we've won the game. Let's just stretch and see what we can pick on the counter. I would have expected him to leave his midfield complete and in, intact to see off the game if on the injury um, injury time but then again it's what um quality does for you right um when Liverpool got Darwin Nunes it's more of a um I think it was 87 million on the about and everybody kept on being fixated on the price tag rather than what the certain player can do in Liverpool team. I think he finished last season with Okay numbers, I think 15, 16 goals thereabouts, which was very, very decent considering the fact that he was not a like a bank on starter. And this season he has come off the bench in every game so far and today has been able to score two goals. Right. Surely we'll see him start the next match or or something like that. But I'm very, very pleased when players can get their price tag off their back. I hope he gets because in the real sense of his players are not responsible for their price tag. So it's, it's always very, very um Unfortunately, when they're judged by their price tag, I don't think they have anything to do with that. It's that it's between the clubs that are negotiating for the services and whatnot. So I'm very, very glad for Darren Nunes, and I hope that he can keep it up. By the way, Newcastle are about to find out something that they have not yet exist, right? Um, in, in in football, teams approach you based on expectation of what you can do and what you cannot do now. Right now, everybody is giving Newcastle the respect that they deserve from their performances last season. They are mm. in for a rude awakening because most of the transition counters that they could do last season is going to be a lot more reduced this season because everybody is going to be cautious and wary of what they can do to to hurt teams, especially in Europe. I feel like they are going to have a very rough season. Uh, Bayer in the WhatsApp group, you were calling for Darwin Nunes. And, well, he came, like Doxon said, he came in as a sub. And, well, he turned the game around. Was it as simple as that as just having him on and um, delivering rather than having someone play out of position in Gakpo? I think what it comes down to is the, the, the profile um, of, or the, the, the difference in the sort of threats that Nunes poses in comparison to someone like Gakpo. So Gakpo is a naturally a center forward. Um, 
And so, like, when, when you talk about him behind, right, he doesn't have the same threats that Nunes had. And Eddie Howe has been at Newcastle for what now, just over 18 months. Um, and I'm really impressed with the clarity that they have in, in the way they play. But they failed to manage that game. They failed to manage that game. So they were, they, you know, there, there was zero control for them. They, they, they kept trying to go for the juggler, you know, and that was fine up to a certain point. But I think up to a certain point, probably by the time you start approaching the last 10 minutes of the game, right, you begin to think of how you can kill the game off, just snuff the life out of the game. Uh, but they played into Liverpool's hands, and that's where Nunes came in because that threatening behind um, Newcastle's high line is what allowed is what allowed for Liverpool to come back into that game, you know, equalize and then win. Um, so yeah, I think I think this is something that they should make use of more. That's Liverpool in terms of what Nunes offers. He's so so good off the ball in terms of his movements. He's almost like Cavani-esque to to you know to put it in another way. And I think the the major stick everybody used to beat him last season was in terms of his chance conversion, right? Uh, you know, so he had he, he missed <laughs> he missed a fair few big chances. Uh, but I think long term, if you spend what is it, 80 million euros on a guy, um, I think that you should try your best to let him achieve his potential, right? To so let him go into the team, let him go into the league and become all that he can be. And hopefully this game will serve as a platform for Darwin Nunez to establish himself in the Liverpool level. Um, yeah, sometimes just playing players in the right position is all it takes. Uh, one team that did that this weekend was Manchester United. They came back from two goals down to beat Forest. Um, Rashford looked good playing in a more familiar role on the left. They were concerned despite the win. Were they more negative than positive, especially when you go down to nil? to a team like uh, Forest? For sure, you have to applaud Manchester United for, for coming back from two goals down to win. Uh, but I feel like uh, Nottingham Forest obliged them in that game. Um, so I think ma- ma- this Ten Hag's Manchester United, they are slaves to the game state, right? There are certain game states in which they don't do well. Um, so, for example, uh, Forrest scored two goals within four minutes, and then they basically sat down and invited Manchester United to play. And once um, Ericsson got the, got the first goal, you know, I think within 25 minutes or thereabout, I think it was only a matter of time before the second goal came at the very least. Uh, and then you saw that as soon as United went ahead, they promptly ceded control of the match to at that, by that point, a 10-man Nottingham Forest. Um, so while obviously this is a good win, six points from nine is nothing to be sniffed at. You know, I'm, I'm not sure this is an indication. This is, uh, I'm not sure this is any indication of, you know, the level Manchester United will likely operate at this season. So I think um, on a game-by-game game basis, right, winning is the most important thing about the manner in which you win is an indicator of how your season is going to go or what your next game is going to be about and all of that, right? Like, a lot of us saw the Wolves game at first and we knew that, oh, okay, there's um, a bit of trouble in the team. It's not balanced, it's not settled. There is um, a bit of concern in certain areas and whatnot. And all those things were a lot more obvious in the next game when United failed to pick up um, any points. Now, going into game three, it's the same issues 
all over again. I, I feel like as supporting a number of players yesterday, right? I mean, ultimately you have to give credit to them for coming back from two zero down and, and getting three maximum points. But I, I felt like I was disappointed in the number of players yesterday. And not to call out anybody, but the first person I was most disappointed with was Casemiro. And it's for a very, very simple reason. Right, Casemiro got the second goal, the goal that made United level yesterday. But I I, I feel like when you go to zero down, right, you need um, the, in quotes, senior players in the team to stand up and be counted. Right, United play uh, um, single six and double its formation, right? So Casemiro has the lone six, Eriksen and Bruno off him, right? United went to zero down and Casemiro started making runs into the opponent's box. Casemiro started running to opponent's channels to receive balls in between the line and whatnot. I felt it was tactically irresponsible to throw the kitchen sink away that early in the game. We watch other low six in the Premier League and in other leagues in Europe, right? And we see how they try to control the game or play the game in a certain way, like make sure that the game is played in front of them. Now, if the game is being played behind you as a lone six, what does it say about your team? It's going to scatter the structure and whatnot. So I felt like if it was a younger person or if it was a it was an incompetent person, right, that was in that position, then it's a bit understandable. So I was very, very disappointed because United looked disjointed for a long period of time. Right? It wasn't up until, um, I think it was Ericsson that dropped back a bit. I mean... Forest seeding the ball to United helped a lot because then Dalo could go into midfield and add to the numbers and all of that. So he, he kind of made up for what was missing alongside Ericsson. So he kind of made up for what was missing yesterday. So I feel like against better opposition, sometimes away from home where you don't have the crowd on your side and all of that, it would be very difficult for United to come back from that type of position. So the tactically responsibility does not help as well. So I feel like United players need to be uh, less disjointed in games, especially games like this that are very, 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 very tricky. So, yeah, a, a, a good three points, but it's not looking good. It's not looking good. Yeah, so, I mean, so it, it keeps coming back to what I think we've said for the last three weeks now. Ten Hag's Manchester United simply cannot take control of the game. So they they have players who want to go direct for goal once they get the ball. And so when they, when they have single goal leads, they are unable to manage the tempo of the game. They are unable to recycle the ball and hold on to it for long periods of time. And against Nottingham Forest, you can get away with it. So there was this there was this chance close to the end of the game when Casemiro, he launched to get the ball off Anthony Elanga and that one just breezed past him. And that was just like a sign of, basically, um, Forrest kept getting those opportunities to transition um, into Manchester United's defence because they kept trying to, even at 3-2 with in stoppage time, they kept trying, they were too direct. They kept trying to go from back to front too quick and there was nobody to put, nobody to put your foot on the ball. McTominay comes in. So McTominay, if McTominay is the change you are making to, to, um, to wrap up a game, right, to kill off a game, this is not a player who is famed for technical ability. So, I mean, it just, it's a, it's a signal that you expect that you are going to be under pressure and you are looking for all the tools at your disposal in terms of height, at set pieces, in terms of winning the ball, you know. And honestly, um, yeah, I think it will be interesting to see where, I think Arsenal, Arsenal next week will be an interesting 
it'll be an interesting game to really see where this team is at currently. Um, on to Spain, Villarreal 3, Barcelona 4. Barcelona had the lead, they lost it, then they got it back. Ferran Torres, he has scored his second goal of the season. I think he scored three in preseason. Um, he's looking quite good, but the player of the match was, the man of the match was um, 16-year-old Lamin Yamal. Um, he had an assist, I think, for the opening goal. What were you guys doing at 16, Chucky? What were you up to when you were 16 years old? <laughs> when I was 16. <laughs> what, what was I doing when I was 16? Let's see. Uh, what year was that? So at 16, yeah. That was like 1997. Was... <laughs> 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 no, yeah, to be fair, at 16, I think I was in a bad one. Oh, at 16. Um, we used to deceive ourselves that we could still make it in football. We used to play... Uh, we used to play football up and down. I was definitely not where Yamal is right now. I was very, very far from where he is right now. But yeah, 16, 16 was a fun time, to be fair. Doctor, uh, about what are you up to when you were 16? Uh, 16, I was in the university. I was reading my books. I think I was in 200 level. I think I was in 200 level. Um, I was going to add, talking about age and feeling old and all of that. So I was watching Valencia's game today and I saw that Ruben Baraka was Valencia's coach. I had no idea. Uh, yeah, yeah, Ruben yeah, yeah. Baraka of the magic Valencia midfield of the mid-2000s. Of the mid yeah. like, yeah. Wow. Wow. I, I don't know. That. But yeah, Yamal had a very good game. I actually saw that game. Um, when it was taking off, it, it, it went off to applause from the VRL fans and all of that because it was an away game from Barcelona. So that boy is, is, is making is, is making waves, is doing magic for himself. And I hope they don't overplay him like Pedri. He's 16 years old and he should be giving the minutes of a 16-year-old player. So yeah, there's that as well. Mm. Bayo, I want to hear about you. What were you up to at, six, at 16? Well, I, I certainly wasn't playing. I certainly wasn't playing in front of... Um, 30,000 or however much it is that Villarreal's um, <laughs> stadium who, you know, giving assist to a fellow teenager, Gavi, who is only 19, um, you know. Um, so it's pretty impressive for Yamal. I think his contract was going to run down, I believe, last summer. And uh, so one of some of the commitments they made to him were, were to include him in the first team. You know, take him to take him for the preseason tour. Um, basically, just involve him in the senior team. They made you know they made those promises to him, and you know it's one thing to promise a kid something, and it's one thing for the kid to actually earn it. And you know, at 16 years old, um, he's this is the second consecutive start now. And to be fair, Barcelona have had so in the last four or five years there has been Ansu Fati, Gavi, and. Um, and now Lamin Yamal, who, and Pedri, in fact, as well, who came to Barcelona as a 17-year-old, who Barcelona haven't been scared to hand opportunities in the first team. And these kids have grasped it, you know. But I, like Dosu said, I just hope they take good care of him, don't overplay him. Um, and Spain have this funny behavior. Once a player breaks into Barcelona first team, next thing is uh, senior, senior national team call-ups. I hope they take this. I hope collectively they you know, Spanish football takes better care of him so that he can have a longer fulfilling career. Mm, all right. So still in Spain, Real Madrid, they beat Celta Vigo away. 
that man again, Jibelli, and we talked about him last week. And this week, he scored his fourth goal in three games. I think he's the first Madrid player to start his career with um, that record of four goals in three games since Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, where does he rank among midfielders right now? I'll go around. I'll start with Chubayo. Um, is he a top three midfielder, top five, number one? Where does he rank for you? So, no, I, I wouldn't begin to categorize him, you know, as one of the top three or five midfielders just yet. He's had an impressive start to his Real Madrid career. Um, and credit to Carlo Ancelotti for deploying him in the areas where he can do the most damage. I think lots of English midfielders come up through the ranks with this idea that they want to be all-rounders. They want to be like Roy of the Rovers, if anybody knows um, that that um like it's a it's a pretty old English comic. Um so basically a guy who does everything for his team. If you look back to the history of um English midfielder English midfielders, guys like Steven Gerrard, more recently Declan Rice as well. When Arsenal signed him, I think even before Arsenal signed him, I said Declan Rice isn't when you hear him talk about himself, he certainly doesn't see himself as a number six. And so Bellingham as well has been this kind of guy who the hype around him at Birmingham was he could play six, he could play eight, he could play ten. And obviously he's he's I think he's where he's most dangerous is where he's able to arrive in the opposition's box undetected. He doesn't have as much responsibility for taking the ball off the defense in first phase and dictating play, progressing the ball, and all of that. Um, but I just want to say that so. I mean, so four goals in three games is pretty good, but I'm not sure that it's something that is sustainable. I would ease off the, I would ease off the, compa- the comparisons, right, in terms of top three, top five. Let's see how it continues to go into, into the Madrid shirt. And, uh, yeah, obviously, wish him the best for the future. Bayo is just um, getting himself ready to be a politician with the way he just dodged that question. Dotting, I mean, I'm going to you and I'm... Yeah, but I mean, I don't, I don't think so. Just to, just, to, just to answer your question, no, I don't think he's top three or top five anything right now. So let's okay. give it a bit more. Yeah. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Um, Dotton, how about you? Do you think it's a... Where, where does he rank for you? <sighs> okay, so um, again, and as much as Bayo is trying to be safe, I'm not trying to be controversial either. Right? I look at midfielders with different eyes, right? Now, if you have, if you look at the core functions of a midfielder, right, you have some midfielders that excel at their core function, um, retaining possession, keeping the ball, short passes, interplay, dictating tempo, and all of that, right? I don't think Belliam excels at those things. I think he's decent at most of them, but I don't think he excels at those things. Now, if you look at ball carrying, if you look at making third man runs, if you look at late entries into the box, and whatnot. I think Bellingham is exceptional at those things. Now, what Madrid have done is they've played midfielders that have those core characters that it doesn't necessarily excel at. Not that it doesn't have them, it doesn't excel at those things. They've played them behind him and they've pushed him up front in a more advanced role, which is what Bayer was pointing out, saying that Bellingham is in the areas that he will excel in. Now, by pushing him forward, obviously his end product should increase, right? So, I like the start to Madrid. I like that he has gotten, again, like I said about Nunes earlier, the whole pressure of being a 100 million pound player and all of that. I like the fact that he's getting it out of the way as soon as possible. Top three, top five. I feel like he has the potential to be there eventually, right? But right now, I think it's still early days. And if you're going to be top three, 
top five midfielders, etc. Right, your the core midfield functions will still have to speak for you. Right, if you look at the midfielders that are classed as top this or top that or whatnot, there is the same similarity in, in, in the game. You look at players like Luka Modric, you look at players like Tony Cruz, you look at players like Kevin De Bruyne, you look at players like we can take it backwards to Javi, to Schweinsteiger, to they all had this whole um, core midfield competence, right? Not just, and most of them were not even goal scorers per se or getting into the final third or whatnot. They had attacked. What they did was make sure that the team played consistently in the final third so other people could do the damage, right? So and that's what the people behind, players like Valverde, players like Kamavinga, players like Chouameni, Mojish Cruz, when they get the opportunity as well because they have reduced minutes now. So they push Madrid as far up the pitch as possible where players like Bellingham, Vinicius, Rodrigo can now do the damage. So I like what's going on in Madrid. I feel like they've shared the responsibility for goal scoring in the absence of Benzema and whatnot, but I think it's too early to do the whole top three, top five thing. If Bellingham improves certain parts of his game, then we might be looking at an all-timer there. Okay, Chucky, are you with these guys? Do you think it's too early or do you think it's already a top three, top five midfielder? No, I'm definitely with them. I think it's too early. I'm just happy because I remember the first uh, first show I did talk about Madrid's midfield and how I, I had a lot of hope for them with their diamond and it's working. And I think that's, as I explained, if you have a trio of Kamavinga, Chouameni and um, Valverde behind you, that's basically legs. That's all the legs. Now you can do what Bellingham himself can do what he does best, which is move. He Every time I watch, I watch two, I've watched two Madrid games this season and he reminds me so much of that's one Ramsey season. Not in the goal scoring or anything, just in how he uses the space. So he's always the one making that third man run into the box. He's always the one, like he's always on the move and he has the license to do that because of those three people. Now, I'm not saying he cannot do what they do because we know that he has, as Dr. explained, he has all the tools, really. He's tall, he's, he's quick, he's quick-footed. He can play pass, he can move. But he needs, it's, it's too early. That's basically what we're saying. It's really just too early. But yes, he has all the potential. And maybe, as you guys said, if they get a striker, maybe he goes he goes to a deeper role and then we see on the other side of his game. But yeah, right now, he's, I'm very happy he's doing very well in Madrid because there was a lot of, um, like, you know, young boy moving to Madrid team. It's everybody with from Mbappe and they got Bellingham and it's the whole thing. But I'm, I'm just really happy he's doing very well. But yeah, it's so, so really Let me even play devil's advocate. So you know that in the scenario where Madrid gets a striker and say they play a front three of maybe Rodrigo, Vinicius at the striker and they have to play three midfielders and something happens to Bellingham's output. You know, most of these people that are gassing him up about being the next Nafta Slayer's bread will start calling for his head saying, oh, your oh, output has dropped this. And, and that's what always bothers me about football. Like, when you are the... Uh, there's that uh, P.S. Morgan saying about being um, cock of the walk the next day, you're the feather of the dust or some rubbish. <laughs> or some rubbish yeah, like that. So yeah. I just, yeah, so it, it all boils down to it just being too early. But that boy is a baller. Well, yeah. No, that's yeah. the thing. That's the main thing that when you watch him play, you know that this boy is, is, is really good. This is it. This was the talent. And Birmingham, maybe he got out of Birmingham early, early enough to get for his game to get better. But you can just see it when he plays. And then you remember, like, this boy is 20. Oh, how old is he right now? Like, what? So, yeah, I'm very happy for him, but yeah, it starts too early. There are too many midfielders, too many good midfielders like that in the world for, for me to call Bellingham top five. Well, I think we can all agree that Rodri is number one, Abby. At this point in time, for sure. 
<laughs> yeah, he's had the thing with Rodri is that right now he yeah, he has had too many memorable appearances in recent memory. So even if I want to argue, okay, even if I want to argue the case, I can't. Because once nah, I, 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 I just see that I see that Champions League final, I'm like ah. So, so I mean, even, even if you look at this season, right, Rodri has been influential in all phases of play for Manchester City, you know. So, in the final third, I mean, I think he had an assist against Burnley as well. Yeah, in terms of controlling, like, what, what is traditional? I think he has right? two goals now. So, so here's the thing. Rodri is using jazz. See, Rodri <laughs> cannot put the foot wrong. I watched the game against Newcastle and Roger tried to be extra smart on whatnot and he lost the ball 4-1 Newcastle 4-1 Newcastle for attackers against one city defender. Somehow, somehow he was not punished for it. You know when you're an exceptional player and everything goes your way, even when you do something bad, it was still if it was Africa, man, I was going to say it's just maybe there's just this but it's it's, it's, it's yeah. just you're waiting for someone like, oh, okay. Is it's a bit um it's teasing opponents, it wants to draw them into tackles, it wants to it wants to draw them out of position or whatnot. And somehow, somehow it always works for him. And it's not just one of it's we know that since next game, Roger is going to have a good game. We know that the game after that, Roger is going to have a good game, regardless of the opponent. Things like this, man. That's so I mean Roger Rodri is Rodri is what he's 28 or thereabouts now. And I think it's fair to say that he's at the peak of his powers. You know, I think that's that's just what it is. He's at the absolute peak of his game, right? I don't think he's going to get better than this for him, right? Uh, so it's just sorry, a do you know who's been coaching? Do you know? I, I know that Enrique has left the job as Spain. Do you have any idea with their current coaches? I need that. Um, De La Fuente. De La Fuente. Okay, so I need that Rodri as a centre back experiment to die by fire. <laughs> Later on in the no, show, I, mean, I will talk was, about another thing that needs to die by fire. That was only because of Busquets. <laughs> All right, now let's talk about the last week of the transfer window, okay? Um, yeah, we're in the final days of transfer window is about to close. It's going to close, I believe, on the 1st of September or the 2nd. Uh, so I have two questions, just quick answers, right? Uh, which team desperately needs to do some business in this final week of the window? And the second question, which player desperately needs to make a move in this final week of the window? I'll start with you, Chugi. So let me start with the player because I think the one person, maybe you mentioned this one person jumped into my head before, and I didn't want to think if I overthink, and it's Amrabat. It's all Amrabat because um, I, I, I want to see what happens because all the reports we keep hearing is that to Fiorentina, he's not their player anymore. They're just holding him till Mayu comes to get him. Now, I don't know what's going on with Mayu, or maybe they are not sure about that signing. I do not know. But I just, I just imagine a world where that sign doesn't go through. Now, for the club that needs to make a move, it still answers, it goes with my first answer, is my unit to me. Because really, I do not see how this midfield works for this uh, whole Premier League season. I do not see it. And even though I'm not a Man U fan, I still want to see good football. Um, doesn't how about you? Uh, uh, tricky point of correction. Man U is a slower. The name of the club is Man United, Manchester United, United. <laughs> That's number one. Yeah. So uh, about the club that needs to do business, I think that it's, you, you're right with that. I think United have to do um, smart business at the end of transfer window. Um, United might need to get an emergency left back, right? Um, Luxor is injured for, uh, I feel like they're being secretive about it. And I think that it's going to be out for a while, right? Um, Malas is also injured as well. 
And obviously, Bernard doesn't trust the young boy in Alberto uh, Fernandez to play left back. So United might have to get an emergency left back. Now, none of the names that have come up, um, Cucurella, Bertrand, also none of those names are encouraging, right? But I feel like if you want to get um, a, a short-term fix, you can do better. You can go to France, you can go to Portugal. You get somebody that will give you good value for money. You don't have to spend 50 million or whatnot, right? So that's one. Um, for the player that is... For, okay, no, sorry. One more thing that needs to do transfer a business... Uh, about Arsenal, if it's possible for them to still have it back, <laughs> no refunds, man. No refunds. No refunds. No refunds. I don't want to even. I don't want to go yeah. to that. Please. So let's uh, just jump so that up. Players. So for players, I feel like um, there's still time for a number of people to move. United need. Uh, United need um, a, a central midfielder. And I'm a right fits that profile. I'm really not convinced by him, but that story for another day. Um, I was on show last week, but I listened that um, Shola said this um, strategy of getting players at 27, 28 for two years, three years, you get your return, get value for money and whatnot. So I tell you to do smart business in this transfer window. And there's another worrisome thing that's happened to United this season. In the first game, Martinez went off at halftime. In the third game, Baron went off at halftime. Both games, Daniel Love has had to play for 12 minutes. Um, either side. That means United is an injury from having no centre-back on the bench. Right? So, again, it, it boils down to smart business. I understand the whole... Sorry, Dr. What do you mean by no centre-back on the bench? What no centre-back on the bench. Who's that? Is he dead? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know that person, right? Um, so, as I was saying, um, so United's one, one injury away from having a centre back on the bench as well. So I, I feel like United have to do smart business going into. It. You've done the fancy business. Um, Ireland seventy two million, Mount fifty five, Onana fifty. You've done the extravagant business. Now you have to plug your round holes with round uh, pegs and make sure that your season is a progression from last season at the very least. So yeah, that's that. Um, okay, Bayo, how about you? Okay, so I'm going to go against the grain here, right? And I'll say the player who in my books need, is most desperately in need of a move uh, would be Kylian Mbappe. So this is a guy who has one year left on his uh, PSG deal. And they've come to some sort of agreement. Initially, they had wanted to sell him. They had uh, The club had sworn that he was either... He got sold. He was either he got sold this summer for money, or they would have to sell the rest of his teammates next season just to make up the losses. But somehow they've come to some sort of compromise, right? And there's even talk of him needing to sign, of him verbally agreeing to sign a new contract, which I think is, I think that would be. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure what purpose that would serve for him. Because it would be like he's acting against his own, he's acting against his own self-interest. If you get what I mean, um, this would have this would have been the ideal season for him to be. PSG can get some money. In terms of a club that is in desperate need for a move this summer, yeah, I mean, ordinarily you shouldn't look past Manchester United, right? And everybody keeps talking about how Ten Hag what needs he he needs a midfielder who can help dictate the tempo, control the game, be more disciplined in their positioning. But you now begin, because he has also had many opportunities to address this, you then begin to wonder whether this is what he actually wants. You know, does he actually want that profile of player? Um, <laughs> but, but it's, yeah, good no. to get himself, it's good to get himself fired. So yeah, I think Manchester United definitely, they are in need of, they are in need of a number six. 
Um, so whether they end up doing that, I think the chances are slim though. Just to round this up, for me, I think the team that you guys are in, you guys, it's, it's unanimous. You guys feel Manchester United needs to do business. Um, I'll go a little bit away from that. I feel Everton needs to do business in this final week of the transfer window. They've lost three games. They've not scored a goal. They're bottom of the Premier League right now. Um, they've flirted with relegation over the last two seasons. And Chiki, I only like... just sorry to button. I'll just tell you one thing: any Premier League team that still employs Neil Mopi. In 2023, deserves whatever they get. If you still have Neomope and he's coming into games for you in England, then whatever you see, take it like that. Everton have agreed a deal for a striker from Udinese, right? At least those are the reports I've seen over the weekend. Oh, yeah, and, Beto, I saw that as well. But but let me just tell you a short, very short unrelated story. So uh, mm-hmm. one day my brother comes back from school and tells us that then he just got into other level. So he says he got into class and the uh, lecturer says everybody tear a sheet of paper and they're like, eh? And the man says write your name, write your matric number. Today's first test. And someone shouts, Jesus! And the lecturer says, Jesus cannot save you now. See, Jesus cannot save Everton. Everton is going down, regardless of who they buy, regardless of what they do. It's too late for them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so certain about that. I wouldn't be so certain about that. I wouldn't be so certain about that. They've been deeply, deeply unlucky um, in their in their first day game. They've missed all manner of chances. And, 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 and that's, and good. that's, that's because time. your striker is more pay. Okay, so so you look at you look at the Everton team from back to front, right? First things first, you look at how they set up. They play um a four four two, I think, with Ghana, Onana, Dukura, and um Ghana and the um and and Ijisage midfield, right? What do you plan to achieve with that type of midfield? Nothing as far as I'm concerned, right? You look at their back four, you look at players like okay, Tarkowski, yes, in a deep block, it would do well. You look at the other players like um, Patterson, you look at um, uh, Brad White, you look at um, even Jordan Pickford, they don't exactly give you <laughs> confidence that this team is a Premier League team. Teams like Leicester, teams like um, um, Leeds United, they did this years over as in again and again and eventually caught up with them, right? For me, Everton is number one relegation candidate this season, even ahead of Sheffield United. Right. Nah, come on. Uh, so me, I, I think, I think Luton are going back down. I think Sheffield might go back down, but I think this is the season that everything goes with them. Sheffield United, Sheffield United, and Luton are certainly going back mm-hmm. down. I think, yeah, I, so think probably, uh, I think Burnley might, might, might escape. Yeah. It's probably I think, I think Burnley will be fine. I think that I think Burnley will be fine. I think company just has to dig into that very big head of his and understand <laughs> that he's no longer one of the best teams in the league. That's all. Once once company comes to the realization that I'm no longer one of the best teams in the league, Bonnie will be fine. That's all. That's all. Okay, just and you know what's funny. Up. You know what's funny okay. with Bonnie? They have some ballers, yeah. They have some people that I yeah, guess why he's trying to play the way he's wants to play. No, but the problem course, is that and, as you and, said, and, and, and they are not the best, they're not one of the best in the league. So all these ballers cannot help you. You need British yeah, grit. It's good to be, be attacking-minded. It's good to want to be on the false foot, right? But you have to. You also have to realize where you are and who you are playing against, right? You've seen. So first game, you saw. We saw City go to. Um, Bolly goes toe to toe with City. 
they tried their best. It was mostly player quality on that day, right? Game two, they, they missed out, out on game two. They didn't play the away game at, at Luton. So now this is game three against Villa. Now, Villa lost their first game. They won their second game, and they just came off a very fine win in Europe during the week. I think 5-0 or so. Now, what do you do? You try and manage, the, especially since you're at home, right? You try and see what's going on and, and all of that. You must get the results. What did they do? They became very, very, very open. 20 minutes. Uh, the, the first goal from Matikash. What things was, what, one of the most dangerous strikers in the league, by the way, was open hectares of space or whatnot. You can't survive in the league if you are open for everybody to play through, no matter how good you are. And now you're talking about the team that just came back from the championship. The least you can do is you have to be aware of what you are doing and where you are. So I feel like they have it in them. They have decent players. We've seen that they can play ball, right? They just have to be smart. Or they can be irresponsible and wait and hope that there are three worse things than them. So, Chicken, who is the player you think is most in need of a move? Because I think there's somebody we've all missed out. I'm curious to see if Chicken mentions that person. Oh, for me, it's uh, Nicolas Pepe. I say, <laughs> the, I say that because it feel, he's been, I mean, pretty much as communicated from the Arsenal first team. He's trained on his own with a bunch of uh, unwanted players. And um, the AFCON is no, this generally... Yeah, the AFCON is, yeah, the AFCON is this January. So, it's very important that he gets you know, regular minutes at a high level ahead of the Afghans. So for the sake of Ivory, and still really want him to move. So, um, yeah, Everton and Nicolas Pepe, those are my people. Oh, okay. So now that I was mentioned, the person that just came to mind now, and, oh. and the person I was thinking was, drum roll, Romelu Lukaku. Oh, <laughs> I think he's off to Roma, I believe. So uh, He's shipping that, himself that, off to anybody that wants him. He's not serious. He puts himself in this position. Chaka, he's seen the run, back in, oh. beautiful stuff, Boniface scores, of course, he tried earlier, but he's done it now, Wurz, slots it perfectly, great finish, Boniface has got his second, but the pass from Wurz was sublime. Up gets Gibbs White to head go it on, go on. and a one year's throw on goal. A one year's clean through. Keepers retreating to his line. Huge. A one year. Yes! <laughs> He's done it again. Taiwo one year. A ninth goal in seven games in the Premier League. He went clean through from the halfway line. Welcome to the Bird Watch. This is part two of the Clean Tackles podcast. On Bird Watch, we talk about um, our favorite birds, the Super Eagles and the Super Falcons. And this past weekend, we had lots of Eagles scoring. Taiwo Awoniyi scored against Manchester United. He became the first Nottingham Forest player to score in seven consecutive Premier League games. And the first, well, not the first, uh, the third African to score in seven consecutive Premier League games, joining Mo Salah and Emmanuel Adebayo. Victor Boniface got a brace for Bayer Leverkusen and Victor Simen. Well, the game is still going on, but he scored from the penalty spots. Um, Chuki and Dot, you guys were away last weekend. We talked about the Super Eagles and our preferred attacking lineup. I'll start with you, Chuki. What is your preferred attacking lineup ahead of the AFCON with all our center forwards firing on all cylinders? I have a semi up top, and I'm sure everybody has a semi up top. Now, mm. that's, this is bad to get tricky because even though he's annoying and he's frustrating, 
Moses Simon has to play for me because he's just he's 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 perfect for the Afcon. All of us understand what that means. But yeah, I think I think Moses Simon plays on the left, and then I have. Uh, this is where it gets. It really gets tricky on this right side. Because my my mind just is Chukwuezi, because simple. But well, I'm sure we'll still talk more about Chukwuezi later. Mm. But yeah, let me let me just go with those, that front three because I think I think that front I think I like that front three more because both of them both wingers will come in so their stronger feet. They can put the ball in the air with Osimhen. I, I think I like I think I like that I like that front three. Let me hear what Dotson okay. thinks. Uh, okay, so for me, I'm going to be adventurous. I feel like we do not have a number ten in the Super Eagles team. So I want to play around having a front four. Front four that can move the ball, that can create chances and whatnot. So it's more like a 4-4-2 with two central midfielders, two wide men and two forwards. Now the two forwards will be... I'll play Iwobi on the left. I'll play Moses Simon on the right. I will play Victor Simon up top and I will play Ademola Lukman in and around the three of them. Because it's comfortable up top, it's comfortable on the left, and it's comfortable on the right. Right. I will just look to create overloads in different areas when we are attacking. Because at the end of the day, that's what creating like multiple attacking chances is about. Where you outnumber your opponents in 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 the forward areas. I like Emmanuel Dennis. I think that he has something to offer the super egos. Um, I also think that Gifts Urban can be an asset for the Eagles in the future and all of that. But I feel like based on what we have right now and the players that we consider regulars, I think that will be my pick at the moment. Okay, front four. So you wouldn't like, let's say, a 3 2 4 1 with a bracket food. <laughs> <laughs> you see that, that thing? Die by fire, and, and that's what I was talking about earlier in the show. If when when you see teams of the highest quality, teams like maybe City, try and play um three two, yes three two four one right, where they move your stones up to midfield and whatnot, so that they can. Yes, it's about creating overloads, right? You have a back three, with your back three can expand through the back line. So you have like a centre back, a right back, and a left back. The other centre back in your traditional forward to have stepped up to midfield and whatnot, right? And so you can maintain control. Now, teams with inferior qualities or teams with that don't have the personnel now try to copy it, and it looks very, very irritating, right? I think that three games in this season, I feel like Arsenal have won seven points. They they had a fight to finish against Forest. They had a fight to finish against Palace, and they dropped points at the death against Fulham. And I feel like we don't know what this Arsenal team can do yet because Ateta is being stubborn with this very irritating formation. You 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 bought um. A, a, you bought a player that no, plays. That one, that one actually is not the formation; it's the personnel. No, no, no I'm, I'm So now you, okay. you you finish second league, you have eighty four points, and you want to build on your season. Now you bought a a box to box midfielder, hundred million pounds. Everybody knows so far so good. He's even be, playing very well. Now you also spent close seventy million on somebody that you don't know his best position. You don't know if you want to play him up front. You don't know if you want to play him in midfield or whatnot. So now you've managed to inconvenience your team because of somebody you went to go and buy with your own hands. Now we've seen Pate at right back. When we know how what Pate offers in the mid middle of the park, and we know how he controls the game and how he stabilizes Arsenal's midfield. So we see, we're seeing things like um, Pate, White, and Saliba, 
and Zinchenko in the pocket. Okay, man, just play football. Just go back to the basics and play four to three. Why do you have to copy every like? You even see some fans of some other teams, including the team that supports Manchester United. They post um, graphics of preferred lineups, and they do. <laughs> Last year, seven zero Anfield is going to be a joke. See, they will beat because. It, People don't understand what goes on in City. People don't understand. There's a reason why people like Ancelotti have gone so far in their career without doing all this nonsense. There's a reason why people like Mourinho have gone so far in their career without doing all this nonsense. If you want to be adventurous, you must have top quality players to make up for whatever deficiencies might come out of the system. Right? Not all these super egos. Please, don't even... Us that were not even good before. I beg, please. Let's focus on the writers. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, there's a lot of uncertainties ahead of the Afcon. Um, our national team coach—I don't know what to call him—national team coach or ex-national team coach, Jose Pesero. His future is uncertain. His contract has not been renewed. I don't even know if he has been paid wages over the past year. But it's been reported that Augustine Aguavon is going to handle at least this upcoming. Afcon qualifiers. So, by what are your thoughts on this if it goes through? At this point, beggars can't be choosers. So, I'm not sure we want to go into what caliber of coach the Super Eagles should be choosing to hire at this point. It's pretty obvious that the guys who administer football don't have the uh, they don't have the interest, uh, they don't have the will or the knowledge, or maybe all three um, in terms of just having a proper plan, right, in terms of getting in a coach who who can make the most of the resources we have and whose contracts will be respected, who will be paid on time and all of that. So we keep coming back to these situations where, you know, coaches are the, you know, where our coaches only stay because they have nowhere else to go. They are being owed money, you know, and all of that. So at this point, maybe... Sticking to a home coach, to a homegrown coach might be the best. Might it might be the only way? I don't know if it's the best. I've always wondered why. So, for example, the pipeline from youth football to um, senior national team football. Why we haven't explored that? We've had a guy like Victor. <laughs> this is left field. Like a guy like Victor Amunike who achieved success with the under 17s right? And I think at some point he was managing Tanzania. We've never heard of him before. We've never heard of him since, or we haven't heard of him since. Um, he wasn't particularly given a chance. I, I may be mistaken. Is, was, was, was there ever a point where he was involved in senior setup? I'm not so sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe he was. And, but then what we have these days is this recycling of, this recycling of coaches. Eguavon has been in the job before. You know, Olise has been in the job. Olise has been in the job before. So, uh, you know, and these guys haven't haven't really, they haven't taken us as far as they possibly can. Uh, but like I said, beggars can be choosers. Where where we are, um, the football administration is what it is. So we just have to make do. Uh, we just have to make do with. We just have to make do with whatever we are served at this point. Another eagle, Calvin Bassi. He was sent off. For Fulham on his first start at the club, so that's I think that's the second red card for Fulham in in three games. Um, we we're really hoping that Calvin Bassi was going to step up in the absence of Tim Ring. I think we talked about this last weekend after Tim Ring got himself suspended. So we felt 
Calvin Bassi, this was his chance to step into the team and you know seize the opportunity as a starter. But unfortunately, he he got himself sent off. So it's back to being, I guess, third choice. One person I want us to talk about is Samuel Chukwese. So Christian Pulisic has started life at AC Milan in superb version. Um, two goals in two games. It looks very good. And of course, you know, first impressions matters. And Pulisic is making a very good first impression at AC Milan right now. And our guy, Samuel Chukwese, is kind of suffering for it. Um, do you think this is a slight worry ahead of the Afcons? I'll start with you, Dustin. If I was Chukwese, um, yes. I wouldn't be worried, per se. Right? Um, I mean, it's early days. You're at a new club, even though Pulisic is new as well. Right, but you have to look at it from the angle that it's one of the things that come with going to a bigger team, right? Obviously, you have to play your way into the team. Definitely, we get chances. Um, um, Milan have multiple games. Pulisic isn't the fittest player. He will have um, injury setbacks at some point in, in the season, right? So you have to put your head down and walk, right? I mean, there's the type of performance you put in training, and the coach knows that even if Pulisic is on fire, you have to get 15, 20 minutes in the game. Right, so I know it's it's it makes it more difficult that Rafaelia is on the other wing and is pretty much an undroppable, right? So it's not a matter of two of them can play at the same time, but I don't think it's a cause for alarm, right? Now Chico is a new exactly what he was doing going to AC Milan. You know that you're going to a bigger team. You know that there is more competition for shirts and whatnot. Maybe his brother is with the Afcon and the um form of super egos forwards or whatnot. But I feel like he, he is, is a very unique player in the super ego setup because I think he's out of all the forwards, I think he's the only one that is naturally left footed. He's the only one that, that he, he prefers playing on the on the right way cutting and he has he has come to good effects for the super egos a few times and all of that. So I don't think it's a big deal, at least not yet. Now it gets to a point in the season where you know, okay, why isn't this guy playing? What's wrong with him? Is it that he's not dropping the required levels in training or whatnot? But as things stand, I think it's still early days, and I would not be bothered yet if I was in this camp. If I'd gone before the other said basically the same thing he did, I think Pulisic is on red hot from right now, which is fine. But you don't want you we don't we as Nigerians that want the best for Chukwese, we don't want him to be um we want the competition for him. Competition always makes you better, especially when you're in a club like Milan. So yes, as Dotson said, I I don't think police is going to give them a whole season. I mean, I think Milan are also in Europe. They will have to switch games, they will rotate. He should just be ready when called upon. I don't think it's I don't I don't think it's gonna be I don't think it's that big of a deal personally. Okay. Bayer, how about you? Yeah, um, it's early days still. Like um, like Chucky said, there's European football still to come. P- don't forget that Pulisic is also pretty versatile, right? He can play on the off the right, he can play off the left. For the US national team, he plays, you know, as a 10 as well. Um, so there will be there will be um uh, there will be the chance for rotation, right, in the Milan front line. And Chukweze will definitely get he will definitely get his chance, um, you know, and um, yeah, he he's probably get some time to acclimatize as well. Moving from Spain to Italy, uh, there are lots of factors in terms of a player settling into a new team. So I think it's pretty early to call in terms of saying you know whether this was the right move for him. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll just see. 
there, but definitely a player like Chukweze always has value, particularly in a team that like a dominant team like Milan that will need to break down deep defenses from time to time. I think his time will come. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think I'm with you guys as well. Like I said, he's um, Pulisic is very versatile. He can be used in different play, uh, positions. And I think Rafael Leal came off injured today, if I'm not mistaken. So that might be a chance for him to be moved to the left while Chukwueze comes in on the right. I'm not really sure about the extent of Rafael's injury, but yeah, it's there's a lot of games that are going to be played this season. And like Dotton said. Um, he just has to work hard and be ready to grab his chance. Yeah, so guys, that's going to be it for the for this episode of the podcast. Uh, there's a lot to look forward to this week. Is the we're going to have the Champions League draw on I believe Thursday, and the window closes on Saturday or, or so. Uh, what are you guys looking forward to the most? Champions League draw or the close of the window? I know Arsenal fans. Uh, Chucky, this is your return to the Champions League in the, uh, I the can't, I cannot wait for that Champions League draw, man. I can't lie. It's been too long. I hate that Europa, Europa League music so much. I feel like once they start playing that... I feel like, I feel you like get PTSD. That Champions League music, I just start crying. I, I also I'm think that the, the, Europa League, the Europa League account on Twitter is the worst <laughs> account of all time. That's the most annoying account of all time. Jesus uh, Christ. Christ. They, they, so they're going to have so much fun with Liverpool this season. Those guys. What? They have Salah yeah. in Europa League. You probably have never seen anything. They will post <laughs> so, Salah. So someone, we, we, we've, we've talked through this show and it's very surprising that nobody mentioned the pass that Lionel Messi played yesterday for his goal oh. against against the New York Red Bulls. Please, if you've not seen that pass, go and look for it. Thank it's the whole you. move, actually. Does. It's just not the pass. Yeah, it's the, exactly. It's the, the whole move. But that Please, pass yes. was... That pass was special. And I don't so, think... Do you know... So I think something that is even more remarkable is the fact that everybody in that uh, in that Miami team, Inter-Miami, they all seem to be grade A ballers. Like... Because even the even the like the return pass, like the move, like I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Messi has just basically elevated them, right? Uh, and obviously, the so, 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 so let me let me tell you my, my favorite thing about that pass and the goal. And it's it's come from not just this goal, it's like four or five goals. You know, when people try to be mischievous and they post videos of Messi's goals in the MLS and they say, Look at defending, look at this. Now, the intermediate players look like they have like an extra spring in their step. Busquets to Alba to Messi. The Messi plays that pass. All the opponents are ball watching the right after the pass. Messi and somebody else run to receive the return ball. It's not like it, it, it's the fact that they are active, they are proactive, they are on the front. Mind you, they were leading by this time, and this was 88, mm-hmm. 89 minutes, right? So typically, you expect them to be trying to see out the game, but these guys are still bouncing, trying to get a second goal that late in the game. For me, I think it's very impressive considering the quality of that league. You, you know what? Um, regarding Messi, right, and that pass, I mean, over the years since we've, we've seen Messi since, what was it, 2006 or whatever, whatever it was, we've had different praises for Messi. He's, he's an alien, he's this, he's that. There are plenty and they are all, they are all true, right? But there's, there's this compliment about Messi that is very simplistic on the surface but has always stood out for me. And that was by Di Maria. 
So Di Maria said that Messi plays as if he's playing the game or he's watching the game from a bird's eye view. Of course, you know what that means now. So it's as if he can see everything from the top, as if he's looking down on the pitch, which is very easy for him to manipulate. And that pass, right, to see it repeatedly from that same person, even the assist he gave during the midweek, did they draw? I think they drew or something during the midweek. And there was this pass that he gave in the final, uh, the closing stages of the game to equalize. And... Man, Messi, like you said, he's he's elevated everyone around him. So he's not just like he's and you, scoring. And you know the thing. Go on. Sorry, Chike. I was say, you know the thing? The thing is that he's still Messi. Like, the fact that he's in, he he's older mm-hmm. and he, he's still Messi. That's just, every time I look at people think because he's older, maybe he, he was never, he didn't drop off at PSG. He probably doesn't run anymore because obviously he's a bit older. But it is his technical distance is still there because he's still messy. And now he's in a league where that's who he's right. It's not like the league is poor, but we know the quality of the league is not with what he's used to. So obviously he's a step above everybody else. So he does all these things. People are bored. He's literally messy. There are players looking at him and feel like, wow, I'm playing with Messi. They are forgetting to mark their man. Like it's literally what is happening. <laughs> he's still messy. We are really going to miss him when he's gone. Uh uh, okay, so guys, um, that's going to be it for this episode of the pod. Uh, please share, subscribe, and leave a review. That's very important for us. Uh, follow us on all social media platforms at Clean Tackles Pod just to keep the conversation going. And we'll see you next weekend. Have a great week. Bye.